In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, today for the feast of St. Michael and all angels, we're going to consider the epistle lesson before us, which is from Revelation chapter 12. Revelation is a, a challenging book, mostly because you need to know the entire scriptures before you begin to read this last book of the scriptures. Uh, But there is a misconception when it comes to the book of Revelation. People think that it is a scary book, a book that only fills us with terror and fear. But that's not true. It is a book of comfort, one of great and deep and profound consolation found nowhere else. And the text before us today that you heard in Revelation chapter 12 is one of the most profound comforts to a guilty heart that is plagued by sin. So if you feel your guilt and you're burdened and weighed down by your past sins, then pay attention uh, to what this says. Before getting into the text, I want to start by mentioning that Saint Mi- uh, who St. Michael is. And there are millions upon millions of angels. The Bible reveals three of them to be exact to us, the, the names of three of them. Probably the, the most well-known angel is Gabriel, who announced the conception of Jesus to Mary, to the Virgin Mary. Uh, the Bible also tells us of Lucifer, uh, the bearer of light, who is the leader of the fallen angels, that is the evil angels, uh, who is Satan or the devil himself. And finally, the third name we get in the scriptures is Michael. And we have the angel Michael, who is the leader of the good and holy angels, the angels of God, the ones who never sinned or fell away. Uh, The angel Michael is a creature of God. He is not God. He is not Jesus or part of God, and he's not divine. But the angel Michael is like all the other angels. He's a creature of God. However, God appointed Michael to be the leader of his holy angels so that there are ranks and there's organization and structure and hierarchy even in the spiritual realm. So having said that, I want to work my way through the text before us. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 verse 7 begins by saying this, Now war arose in heaven. Uh, That is not something I expected to hear in the scriptures. We imagine heaven to be a place of pure peace and tranquility, but here the scriptures tell us that there is a war that happened in heaven, which is the opposite of those things. Now, it's not that there's constantly a war happening in heaven, but at some point in the history of heaven, there was a war that broke out. And the Bible tells us not only that a war broke out, but exactly who was engaged in that war. The text says Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon. That is, they instigated it. They started it. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And then a few verses later, we hear that the dragon is the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. He is the the deceiver of the whole world. So this is a war between the holy angels of God and the evil demons of hell. Then the question that comes up is this, when did this happen? When did this war happen? Some pastors will say that this is about the end of the world, that it is a war that will happen on the final day or on the last day. But the problem is, 
is that this text is written in the past tense as something that has already happened. Other pastors will say that this refers back to the creation of the world. After God created the spiritual realm, all of the angels, there was a time when some of the angels rebelled against God uh, and they sinned. And these evil angels were then cast out of heaven. And they say, well, that's what this is referring to. Now, this did happen to some degree, but that's not what Revelation 12 is referring to. It's actually referring to another moment in the history of heaven. Verse 7 begins by saying, now war arose in heaven. Then then the question is, well, when's the now? When is that happening? Well, verses 1 through 6, the preceding verses of chapter 12, tell us what happened right before that and then right before the war broke out. So what was that? What happened in those verses? Well, that context there, what it's saying is that there was a woman who was going to give birth to a child. And that there was a dragon, the devil, who wanted to devour this child. And then verse 5 tells us who the child is. It says, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule. Uh, In Greek, the word there is shepherd. One who is to shepherd all the nations with a rod of iron. That sounds like Christ. That is Christ. The woman giving birth is the Virgin Mary, and the child is none other than Christ Jesus the Lord. And then the text continues by saying this, that while the devil is waiting there to destroy this child, immediately after his birth with the the destruction of all the children in Bethlehem and throughout his life, people seeking to kill him and destroy him, uh, the devil could never uh, truly destroy, destroy this child. Before he could get to the child, the verse says, her child was caught up. That is lifted up to God and to his throne. That is a reference to the ascension of Christ. This is after the birth and the ministry, the, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ. Then comes the ascension of Christ when he sits on his glorious throne. So from this verse, we learn of the moment that the war broke out in heaven. And it's the moment of Christ's ascension into heaven. That's what this is saying. Now, you you have to keep this in mind while you read the scriptures because in in Christ's ascension, we're seeing two different things. We're seeing Christ being taken into heaven, being hidden by the clouds and the disciples rejoicing with an exceedingly great joy. And at the same time, what we don't see is the flip side, that is the spiritual realm, And that's when Christ sits on his throne, a massive war breaks out in the spiritual and angelic realm. Physically, we see joy and peace with the disciples, and then spiritually, we see chaos and war in heaven. And this happens at the moment of his ascension. So what happens next? The text says, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them, that is the devil and his angels in heaven. And that too is not something I expected to hear. The Bible says that there was no longer a place for them in heaven, which means before this point there, what? There was a place for them, for the devil and his angels in heaven. 
it's not that the, the, the devil and his angels believed in God or that they were holy at that point. It's that they, they were still evil, but they were able to go in and out of heaven as they pleased, even. What the Bible tells us is that before, the, before Christ's ascension, what, what the, the devil could at any time stand before God and bring accusations against God's people to him. He could walk directly up to the throne of God and say, God, listen, do you know what so-and-so did? Right? Remember you baptized them and did all that. Well, guess what they did today? That's what he could do. Or he could say, do, do you know your so-called child, your Christians, your church, uh, there's so many divisions and strife. This is what they're doing to each other. He's accusing us before God, directly to God. And and this is not unfounded. We have two instances of this in the Bible. The first instance is in Job. Job 1 says that there was a day when the sons of God, uh, the, the Christians came to present themselves before the Lord. That is, they went to church and Satan came among them. And Later in the text, it says that Satan started accusing Job to God and saying, look, Job is only faithful to you because you're good to him. But if you're bad to him, then he's going to rebuke you and curse you. So and then Job goes on to uh, or Satan goes on to afflict Job with all of these terrible pains and anguish. The, The point I'm making here is that the devil was able to walk right up to God himself, to the throne and accuse Job of this. Uh, the second instance of this is in Zechariah chapter 3, and it's about Joshua, the high priest. And it says this, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. What, what you see here is that here's a man standing before God, and then there is uh, the, the, uh, Christ himself Uh, hearing the prayers of of this man, of Joshua. And right next to him is who? The devil, who is doing what? Who is accusing him of sin. So while he's talking, then the image you get is that he's bringing up all of the sins that he's saying. Uh, By the way, this is what the name Satan means, Satan in Hebrew. It means accuser, the one who accuses. The, The point of both of these texts is that for the majority of human history, the devil could and would stand before the throne of God, before the angels of heaven, and accuse people of their sins. He would go around in heaven and speak evil of us to God. And I want to be clear here that when the devil did this, he wasn't lying. Um, It's not like the devil would make up lies about us or say false and slanderous things that are just completely unfounded and untrue. The problem is precisely that he would say things that are true. That is precisely the problem. In fact, this is the only time the devil is saying things that are true is when he's accusing us of our sins. So he said things that accurately portrayed us, things that we actually said or did, things that are sins that cause us guilt and remorse, things that deserve to be punished by God um, forever. I I want you to just consider how how terrible and petrifying that thought is, that the devil would do this. Uh, The truth is oftentimes worse than lies about us. When people lie about us, usually it's far-fetched. And crazy, and people dismiss it. Uh, 
Um, sometimes, sometimes it's mixed with truth and it's, it's damaging. But the truth is oftentimes worse. Uh, here's just an experiment. What if I, what if I uh, said I could, I'm going to do one of two things. One, I, I'm going to say a lie about you. Um, now that wouldn't feel good. But what if I said, okay, but now I'm going to say, the other option is that I say the truth about you. For example, just imagine that I placed cameras in your home and in your car and sent spies to record every one of your movements, everything you said and did, recorded your phone calls through your whole life. And now imagine that you walked into church today and right behind the altar, I set up a big fancy screen, a projector screen, and I called each one of you up here individually and said, um, just stand right here. Uh, and then I just pressed play on that. Everyone could hear all the things you said in all of your private phone conversations, the things you did at home, at work. They could see your search history. They could see how lazy you were. All, all of the lies, all the things you said and did throughout this life. And it would play here in front of all of your friends and family, your loved ones, your children, and other, and other Christians. Which one is worse? Saying a lie about you or the truth? Which would we, you be more embarrassed about? Which would cause you to die of embarrassment and shame? I think the truth. And yet this is what the devil did. He stood before the throne of God and told him all of the true and sinful things about us to God. Now, this is, this is what the devil used to do. But he can't anymore. That's because Jesus has ascended and he sits on his glorious throne. In other words, Jesus' ascension caused something. It changed something in heaven. After Christ ascended and after that war broke out in heaven, verse 9 then says this, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, that is the accuser, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, I want you to realize that I'm not just reading this into the text because this is exactly what Jesus promised would do after his death and resurrection and in his ascension. In John chapter 12, the week of his crucifixion, Jesus says this, now is the judgment of this world. And now will the ruler of this world be cast outside. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He is referring to this exact moment before he dies. In other words, when Jesus accomplished the purpose for which he came, that is, he gave himself as a ransom for the sin of the world, he would resurrect from the dead, sit back on his glorious throne. And when he sat on his throne, that would be the sign to St. Michael and all angels to take the devil and his demons by the throat and cast them out of heaven once and for all. And this is what verse 10 says in Revelation. 
It says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ, of his Christ, have come. And this is not about the end of the world. This is his ascension. Because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night. So what's happening there in heaven is we get this vision of Christ uh, returning uh, to his throne in his flesh. All of heaven witnessing this. All of the saints who died witnessed this moment. And then Satan banished from before the face of God forever. They see Jesus sit on his throne and the devil cast out. And I, I want to point out something. So, so this is the change that's going on. This is what Revelation 12 is talking about. And I want to point out something here. <clears throat> the, the change is not that the devil just stops accusing us of our sins. The, ch- the change is that God has stopped listening to the devil's accusations of our sins. God doesn't hear them anymore. The devil cannot even get to God or tell him about our sins. Michael and his angels will not allow it. They won't even permit one accusation against you to make it to the ears of God himself. So you have this beautiful change where once Satan stood before God accusing us of our sins, we now have Christ standing there, our Redeemer standing before the Father declaring us righteous and holy and innocent and blameless in his sight. This is such a great and glorious consolation. Uh, I want to acknowledge one reality here, one um, point that still affects us. And it's that while God won't and can't hear the devil's accusations against us, the truth is, is that we can't. The devil has been cast out of heaven. He is here on earth and he is foaming and raging, uh, foaming at the mouth and raging and causing all chaos until that final day. Um, So while God can't hear these accusations, we can. God has forgiven our sins, but you and I still feel guilty for them. God has forgotten our sins and remembers them no more. But we do. The devil comes to remind us of our sins, to haunt us with our guilt, to accuse us of all of the sinful and wicked things. So even though God's ears are closed to the devil's accusations, our ears are not. And the devil won't let them go. He keeps a record of our wrongs. He throws our sins in our face to devastate us, to demoralize us. He brings up regret after regret and guilt after guilt of our life to mind. So what do we do? Uh, How do we stand up to the devil's accusations when his accusations actually have weight? How can we stand up against the devil when he brings up our history and our past sins and all of the evil works that we actually did? Well, this is the point. I, I want you to understand that this is not just a point of history. This is actually practical. Verse 11 tells us here in Revelation 12, it says this. And they, those of us who are still alive on earth, have conquered him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb. It doesn't say that they might 
conquer him or that they will conquer him some point in the future or that we're even in the process of conquering him. It says they have conquered him now. And it doesn't say that they conquer the devil by sinning less. It doesn't say that they, they conquered the devil by trying to resolve to be a better person next time. It doesn't say that they conquered the devil by trying harder and exercising more willpower and improving their life through good works and obedience and things like this. No, they have conquered the devil by the blood of the lamb. And you need to learn this well. You stand up against the devil's accusations of your sins by apprehending the forgiveness of your sins through through faith in the blood of Christ. The way you deal with guilt and shame and regrets in your life is not by distracting yourself from your past. And it is not by trying to rewrite history in your mind. And it's not by, by trying to resolve to be a better person. That's not how you deal with guilt and shame and say that you can't do anything about it. It's there. It's done. But you can't deal with it by trying to change something now or in the future. You don't deal with past sins by self-medicating or by intoxicating yourself or by taking yourself out of this life. Having a regret that is so deep that you feel that the only way is to get rid of yourself, to destroy yourself. No, you deal with your guilt and shame and regret by clinging to the full and perfect forgiveness and righteousness that poured out of the lifeless body of Christ your Lord. That is the only way to conquer the devil. The only way to deal with the burden of sin and guilt is to trust in the one who has taken it away. And this means that if God doesn't listen to what the devil says about you anymore, then you shouldn't either. Because Jesus died for you, everything the devil says about you is now a lie. It used to be true, but it is no longer true. Because your sins have indeed been forgiven and they've been dealt with by Jesus. They've been erased from the memory of your dear father in heaven. Uh, Before closing, I want to read you an excerpt from a letter uh, from, uh, from Martin Luther He wrote this in July in 1530. Uh, He wrote it to a friend named Jerome Weller. And Jerome was struggling with his sins. And he was haunted by the memory of his own sins. That he could do nothing about it. He was weighed down and he was depressed and he was even suicidal. He was having such a difficult time in this life. And Luther writes this beautiful letter and gives him this practical advice on how to deal with the devil and how to deal with shame, how to deal with guilt and regret. And at the end of the letter, he writes this. He says, Jerome, flee solitude. Don't be alone. Because the devil watches and lies in wait for you, most of all when you're alone. The devil is conquered by mocking and despising him, not by resisting and arguing with him. And then he goes on and and then writes this. He says, when the devil throws our sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, 
we ought to speak thus and say, I admit that I deserve death and hell. But what of it? Does this mean that I will be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who has suffered and made a satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. That is his advice on what to say to the devil when he throws your sins in your face. You throw your sins back in his face. And you say, Christ has made atonement, full atonement and satisfaction for these sins, and they are not mine anymore. Dear saints, you are more than conquerors through Christ who loves you, and joining you today, conquering the devil, are three others who have learned what Jesus did for them, who will profess before you and all of heaven here today that Christ has indeed made satisfaction for all their sins. They'll become members of this congregation by receiving the very body and blood which conquers the devil in the Lord's Supper. And we rejoice and with all of heaven uh, who rejoices with us. And we, uh, we know that while we rejoice, the devil is angry, angrier now than before. He's angry. He's foaming at the mouth. He's going to try with all of his might to divide and destroy this little flock, this congregation with all of his might. But that's it. He's going to try. But he won't succeed. Because he has already been conquered. So don't get discouraged by any troubles of this life. Let the devil storm and rage. Because he is judged and the deed is done. You dear saints are safe in the loving arms of Christ, your dear Lord, who gave himself for you. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.